0: Good time. So Ted said he was going to be gone this week. Does uh, anybody know what to do now?
1: Yeah, I got that email too.
2: <clears throat> I actually didn't get an email. He just mentioned it last time. Maybe you know more than I do. Uh, it's
1: past 10 uh, no, all I know is, um, the, The before meetup email that he usually sends on Friday, it had a little thing from Ted saying that he was on a flight. He wasn't going to be here, so. Did he ordain
2: anyone to organize this thing to to run?
1: I mean, I can be the moderator, I suppose. Uh, Nobody else wants to do it, or, I mean, it (laughs) doesn't really have to be. I think it's you, Sam. Whatever. We can just go around and you know talk about our practices, I guess. Um, So, who wants to go first?
3: You should start.
1: (laughs) Oh man. Okay. I don't usually have. A whole lot to say about my practice. Um, um, yeah, what am I working on? Uh, I've been really busy, so I'm trying, like, trying to keep a solid meditation schedule isn't the easiest thing lately because I'm uh, I'm a, I'm in a PhD program and I'm like starting to write my thesis, but. I try to keep an hour every day in the morning and usually i get uh i get an hour to meditate in the evening if i'm lucky um and uh like the, there was a time where i was doing lots of uh, concentration stuff like uh jhanas and stuff um but More recently, it seems like just following the breath is uh, nice. Um, I guess I would say I'm probably around stage eight most days. Um, And I got a lot of, there's a lot of uh, PT and things going on. and I, I try to do well. I try to get really concentrated, however possible. Um, sometimes that means uh, doing the pleasure jhanas, and other times that just means settling in for a while. And then I try to, um, if my if it seems like my mind is inclined that way, I'll try to do meditation on the mind. But that's usually pretty taxing. Uh, it's it's hard to like maintain that huge bandwidth. So I don't always have that in me. Um, So my go-to on most days is to to do the uh, still point realizing the witness practice. And uh, that's pretty nice uh, because I can usually get into a um, I can usually get into the state that he talks about more or less. Sometimes it feels like there's a completely detached observer that is was like totally, um, unaffected by various like PT sensations and, um, basically anything else that's going on. Uh, and other times I struggle to get to that perception. Uh, but it's always a pretty interesting practice to do. Um, and so I don't know I mean I guess I enjoy practicing but it's it, it's weird it's like it's uh, it's it's not like it's taken a back seat for me lately but it's more of just something that I do every day and don't think about very much and um Yeah like I try to walk around. So what catches my eye more than like the sitting practice? Like I really enjoy sitting practice and uh, I go through times where I'm uh, at higher stages and then I fall back to lower stages depending on what's going on uh, like, every, like anyone else. Um, but I think what's pretty consistent is trying to bring uh, mindfulness into daily life and trying to observe craving and aversion as it comes up. And uh, specifically, lately that's been really fruitful because uh, life is pretty stressful and difficult. and there's lots of uh, there's lots of potential for practice going on. So uh, I feel like I'm getting a lot of practice out of just, Uh, seeing when my mind doesn't approve of what's going on and then seeing the physical sensations. Um, And then usually when I observe physical sensations of craving and aversion, I can find those in the body pretty clearly. And uh, by observing them, they uh, dissipate pretty quickly. And so that's like something that just happens pretty automatically um, and it seems like the more stressed I get or the more, the more, um, demanding, uh, life gets, I, it, uh, it used to be that I would, uh, try to escape and that it would lead to less mindfulness. But, uh, nowadays the more, the more, uh, difficult things get, the higher the mindfulness goes. So, um, I've been, uh, really busy and it's very stressful. So I've had very strong practice lately. And uh, one thing I'm noticing is when I'm walking around, things are pretty, pretty vivid. And uh, I'm just like noticing a lot. So if that sounds really vague, that's kind of, (laughs) that's my best attempt at describing my practice. But I'd say, you know, um, I have fun with it. and you know, I haven't mastered the 10 stages or anything, but I've been, I've spent a significant amount of time in a lot of different stages and some of the higher ones. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time in stage five and stage four too. So, um, it's not like a linear thing for me. Uh, it just depends on what's going on. Um, but I do my best. So, Sam,
4: what kind of, um,
5: physical sensations would you say that the craving manifests as?
1: So, um, I usually have a pretty good sense of this, uh, energy in my body. Uh, People call it chi or various different things, but, uh, the physical sensations are usually kind of a disruption in that energy. Uh, like just the overall sense of the energy in the body I can uh, when there's a craving or when there's some sort of uh, you know disapproval I can feel just slight little contractions in the overall sense of the body and it's usually like in the chest area and it depends on what it is but I can usually pinpoint it in the body and uh, that's usually how those things manifest for me. Like, uh, it's not so much of getting, uh, it's not so much thoughts. It's just, uh, it's more of a very, uh, purely somatic thing. Most of the time, uh, if there's a lot of thoughts, then, then I know I'm really, I'm really, uh, taken for a ride by something, but that usually doesn't happen very much. Um, if I can keep it on the physical sensation level, then that, that's usually a sign that I'm pretty highly mindful of what's going on. If there, if there starts to be some thoughts and, uh, stories behind it, then what, what tends to happen is I start to see a, a, a mental projection or stories starting to happen. And then my automatic response. Uh, increasingly is to have more mindfulness and find whatever that thing is in the body and then just observe it and that emphasis on finding things in the body and staying in the body uh, really limits how much uh, mental you know spinning off that happens so I think that's a good practice it's
2: Sam, I have a question about uh, First Jhana for you. I, uh, I was at Tucker's, um, Tucker Peck's Isanga this week, and he mentioned that, uh, so he spoke about First Jhana as if it's almost dangerous to say, stay in this state for too long or to cultivate it too much. I'd never heard anything like this sentiment before. Uh, he seemed to think that uh, First Jhana was sort of a, like, Stay in that state regularly for a long time is sort of cultivating like a manic kind of state, um, and he really discouraged against it. Like he seemed pretty adamant about this. I've never, I've never even heard this attitude before. Do you have any experience with that?
1: Um, so I think I know where that sentiment comes from. Um, so, uh, like in my experience with the jhanas, um, they. It, it's almost like um, you're going increasingly refined in the level of, uh, um, so the first jhana is like, for me, mostly like physically pleasurable. And it's, sometimes it can be hard to uh, sustain that because there's certain joy uh, associated with it that if, you stay in that state long enough, the mind sort of naturally notices there's a certain dissatisfaction with that state, however pleasant it might be. Um, And then naturally what happens if you stay in the first jhana long enough and you just uh, closely observe what your mind is doing, you'll notice that the mind will tend towards the mental joy because it's a little more refined than the physical joy and so um, I don't know if it would be dangerous to stay in the first jhana for a long time but it might be a little you would increasingly notice an agitation in the mind and that's what drives you up through the jhanas uh, is that subtle sense of dissatisfaction uh, and You spend more time in one jhana, you notice on the periphery of your uh, consciousness that there's just that slight sense of, this is not quite fully fulfilling me. Um, And the thing is, you go, you find that in every jhana. I only have, you know, I don't have too much experience with the formless realms, but I'm pretty pretty experienced with the first four jhanas, and there's always this sense of not, it's, however nice it may be, there's always a sense that it's not quite fully fulfilling. Um, And in the first jhana, that's more pronounced. And as you go up higher in the jhanas, it gets more and more subtle, but it's always there. and so I think that might be what Tucker's trying to get at with the first jhana. Uh, and I don't know why you would want to stay in the first jhana because if you, if you can sustain the first jhana, naturally uh, you'll find a way, your mind will find a way up to the second jhana. And um, as you go up, it, it may it may sound weird, but uh, the fourth jhana is way better than all the previous three jhanas because it's, Uh, it's just more calm and serene and it's a more refined type of uh, I wouldn't even call it pleasure but it's it's just more more refined and more peaceful so as as you get more experience with pleasant states and meditation there's always like a there's always a the mind tends towards peacefulness basically uh, increasing levels of peacefulness until you get to the ultimate piece of cessation um, and that's where all the genres are leading um and that's just a natural thing i think so hope i didn't like go on and on about that but
4: um <clears throat> can i add something because i spoke to, the, to tucker about this three weeks ago and um he told me that Uh, You want to avoid that also because of pity that can get stuck uh, afterwards, Mm -hmm. and then you get like Kundalini syndrome things, so you can have like uh, pity that stays on you or even like vibrating uh, limbs that go on after the meditation, and that's what you want to avoid according to Tucker.
2: Jan, can you tell me a bit more about what Kundalini syndrome is? I've heard this phrase a lot and I've never seen a definition for it.
4: Um, well, um, I, I don't have a lot of experience with it myself. so. Um, but it has to do with, um, like, sometimes when you meditate, people get, like, shaky. Um, and this body movements has to do with, like, rapture that's arising um and um what can also happen to people that it's get so much that um it it stays with them after the meditation so the, they have been meditating and then after the meditation they they sit on a couch for example and then they get also jerky um and i think that is what mostly referenced by um the kundalini syndrome and that that has to do with the the rapture and the pity that, that sometimes comes up. Um, and I think the, the best thing to do is if that happens, is just ignore it. And uh, then with the first jhana as well, if, if you um, are one of the persons that have a lot of this, um, that might be a good idea to avoid the first jhana. that that's what Tucker said at least. Um, Sorry, yeah, that's, that's what mostly reference or what they mean by that. you're muted. Uh, I said, no, thank you. That, that makes sense. Uh,
1: So Carrie, um, I think everybody can see your, your question in the chat. Um,
0: yeah, I wanted to get it down before it, um, lost. I lost it.
1: <laughs> so uh, yeah, for me, so that witness, uh, that witnessing state, it's like kind of a it, it's it's uh, a it's a pretty distinct shift uh, from always having experience being referenced towards a center point. So everything experienced is experienced in relation to me at the as the experiencer but uh there's a certain point that you can get to where that that referencing gets cut off and it's almost like you're just watching a movie and the movie is all that you're experiencing and it doesn't matter what happens there's this equanimity um almost like you're just watching the movie of Me meditating, and it doesn't matter what happens, it's just a totally neutral observing state. Um, So, that'd be my best description. It's it's hard to like put words to that kind of thing uh, without. uh, I keep like. I have some
0: questions, maybe. Um, Is it something that you can kind of sense that's close to you even when you're not fully there like you can like that it's something that um, I'm just wondering This a sensation that I've had that I've never really been able to describe um, and that almost sounds like it where um, but it's something that can definitely be experienced by degrees. And mostly with visual, if I just like pause and look at something and just like seeing is happening. And um, and it's a very unusual strange sensation that is not thought, or not dialogue-related, and it's something that I had spontaneously felt before I started meditating, and the, the very first time I sat down to meditate, I was just like, whoa, um, and I could, it was just like, And I'm just wondering if that's like, I think the first time I meditated with Shinzen, he was doing the C out and I was just like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I used to feel like occasionally, Um, just kind of spontaneously. And so I'm, and I kind of was wondering if it was like the default mode network, just, um, quieting down momentarily but I don't know um, but that was just me reaching for the kind of the scientific perspective because there was definitely a very strange something happening but then again you can have the default mode network quiet down if you're doing an active task too so I was just yeah any anything you can add to that
1: yeah so uh The first time I got into that, what I considered like a witness state, Mm -hmm. uh, I was in stage five and I just spontaneously fell into this state that was really distinct and it felt like I was sort of just inside my body and watching everything happening with this sense of equanimity. Mm
0: -hmm. So I
1: think it's definitely possible to just spontaneously fall into that. but what this practice in stage eight does, I think, is to sort of systematically try to approach that. And I I honestly think that falling into a state like that, you can only set the conditions for it to happen. And I think the practice in stage eight is basically setting the conditions and then you just sort of let go. And if you find the witness, uh, you find the still point, then great, if not, then uh, that's okay too. But uh, the fact that you can like spontaneously get into that state, I think it just speaks to the the idea that there's, there's just certain causes and conditions that cause things to happen. And, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to happen in that systematic way in the stage eight practice, so.
0: Do you feel can you like just stop and kind of do something to make it feel like you're close to it? Not like you would stay there, but just kind of like regain that sensation momentarily or
1: so uh, it's it's kind of interesting. I've done a lot of experimentation with uh, walking around and trying to put my attention on awareness, however abstract okay. that may may seem, but just sort of like... Telling my mind, hey, let's let's find this awareness thing, and it seems to it seems like you can find this uh, sort of stillness that underlies everything. Yeah, there's like a certain peace that you can sort of come into resonance with. That's how I sort of experience it. I would say, um, and I think it might be related. And there's this illusion that it's permanent, that there's something unchanging about it, right? Um, and that's the illusion that you get in the, when you really get with it in that stage eight practice. There's this illusion that there's this permanent guy up there that's like watching everything. Um, but eventually even that breaks down. Uh, but without the, like in, in daily life, I've, I've never been able to break through that illusion of the, the permanence of that state. Like I've only been able to clearly break the impermanence of that state during the stage eight practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely not permanent. There's there's nothing unchanging yeah. about that, uh, that observer. There's nothing special about it. Um, so, so that's something to consider.
0: So is that like um, an experience of So the self is still there, but is it like, is it related to a different insight or is it just quieting?
1: So in my experience, <laughs> the, uh, the experience of an unchanging witness mm-hmm. is actually, can be experienced as another mind generated phenomenon. Okay. Uh, if, you, if, you do it, if you do that practice enough, you get a very visceral and clear sense that the mind is actually constructing that sense of being a, uh, detached observer. And the moment the mind stops constructing that, that it falls apart. And Mm -hmm. in, in going with that state and seeing what goes, what causes that state to come and go,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, I've noticed that there's a certain construction that happens, uh, And that's, that's one of the things I've noticed with that, with that state. And then, you know, I think the the point of that practice is you get to that ground of experience and it seems like everything's permanent. And then you start asking the question, like, who's experiencing this? Uh, What's going on here? And then if you're uh, lucky or if you do it long enough, the Answer will become very, very clear uh, mm-hmm. with certain types of event, events that will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's a, it's a, it's kind of a trap that you can fall into because it seems so, it seems so permanent. You know, like some of these uh, uh, other teachers of other traditions, they talk about this, this transcendent self that's just there, and is like unchanging and uh, this this eternal self right mm-hmm. um, I think this witness state is what they're referring to in some form or another um, but even that in my experience is totally not a permanent thing
0: so would you say that that's something that would if observed to go away would be very much a triggering insight and the lack of self then
1: oh yeah, yeah. um that was a um, I i mean i don't think it's so much about the specific experiences themselves rather yeah. than um it's it's more um i mean because there's always insight experiences occurring and it's it's the level of metacognitive awareness and Um, unification of mind that you bring to those experiences that determine if that experience is uh, something that's going to cause an insight Um, and with the stage eight with that witness practice you can definitely um, it's that's one of the most obvious uh, experiences that I've had of no self is when doing that practice and Having a cessation, it just all goes away. It's like, yes, very clearly, there is nothing to that. There's, you know, there's no, there's no permanent self there. But it doesn't have to be any one type of experience, you know. Yeah. Like yep. even the, even the sense of generating that
4: Ooh.
1: ground of being can tell you something. Um, if, like if you're generating it and you see that it's not permanent, and this is something that you thought to the self you know that can trigger a certain inside experience so I think it's very powerful and I've gotten a lot out of doing the still point practice
6: yeah
5: and I jumped in real quick I was um reminded of a there was a that I listened to a few times and never came anywhere close to getting to the witness state, but it was interesting because he was exactly like you were talking about, Sam, he was, he was actually saying once you realize uh, that you have found it, it was like, oh, it was obvious it was there all along. So you will know when you found it. If you think that you haven't, then you, if you think you're not sure, then you haven't found that point yet. And another thing he did was to say, okay, if you're there, what happens when the body dies? What happens to the witness? And it's kind of like something to, to, to meditate on. And, uh, um, yeah, it's really it's interesting what you're we talking about.
1: Yeah, it's a very definite uh, definite state. It's it's, it's, uh,
7: it's obvious when you experience it. In my experience, is no witness related to the sixth jhana? Uh, I think it's
1: boundless consciousness. Isn't it? um, so my experience with that jhana is kind of limited. Like I, I usually don't bother with the formless jhanas. Like I, I've gone in the fifth jhana a little bit, and I might have peeked into the sixth a little bit, but I can't really speak from experience on the sixth jhanas. You know, comparing that to the witness, but I imagine it could be similar.
7: I have another question about what you were discussing before, the agitation in first jhana, And I don't know if, if Chuladasa talks about that in the book. I don't recall reading it. But uh, with dullness, Chuladasa explains it in terms of, of moments of consciousness. And I don't remember the, the other one or lacking of moment of consciousness, the degree of moments of consciousness. But uh, does he talk about restlessness and how that relates maybe to the ag- agitation? I don't know if that's the same thing in you were discussing in first jhana, but how does restlessness fit in the, the whole model?
1: Of the jhanas?
7: No, RESTLESS in, in general, but in the model of, of TMI, of, and of course, in the genus, but outside of the genus, uh, because it seems that it, it is it is part of the experience in, in the different stages that sometimes RESTLESS may come up. And I, I don't know if the, if the same thing uh, as the genus, because I have very little experience with the genus, so I don't, I don't know if the, it's the same thing or not. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, um, I think, uh, there's like a gross level of restlessness that can be experienced as gross restlessness. And then on the more subtle level, the, in my experience, at least the mind's always doing this craving and aversion, uh, thing with everything that's experienced and, um, for it to manifest as gross level of restlessness Uh, I think there's there has to be a a certain level of uh, clinging involved Um, and I think the same thing happens uh, at an increasingly subtle level in the jhanas and I think it's the same basic process as you know like I'm restless and I can't stand sitting still. I think that's the same process as the restlessness that I was talking about in the, the first jhana. Um, it's just um, one is more refined, and but they have the same roots, um, from my experience. They have the same root of craving, clinging. Um, there's a sensation. There's a positive, negative, and there's a craving for that to change, and then there's a clinging, um, making that a self. Basically, um, that same thing happens, you know, in many different contexts.
7: So, yeah. And Carrie, uh, about what what you were saying, I remember. Uh, a video by Xing where he speaks about paying attention to the, the silence behind the noise, something like that. So it's when a noise comes up and it goes away, the silence is always behind it. So it, it sounded a little bit like what you were saying, but you were close to it, even though you're not exactly in it, I don't know. We just remember uh, of that video.
1: So I guess I'm the moderator. Um, who wants to talk about their practice next? May I? Yeah, go ahead. Um,
6: I'm around stage four to five. So uh, I struggle with dullness some, and, and that's what I, I feel like is holding me back. I recently stopped drinking coffee, and I'm hoping my energy will stabilize, and I'll be able to um, meditate with energy more consistently. Um, so that's where I am. Uh, There was a a post on Reddit in the last day or so where Ezekiel Esposito suggested using just letters for uh, intentions rather than uh, a full thought, and so I'm using C for check-in and I for introspective awareness, and that seemed to help this morning. Today was the Second time I tried that. I did it a little bit yesterday, too. So that's what's going on. Uh, See you, Jan. Thanks for coming. Uh, This is my first time here, so I'm excited to be here. And uh, thank you for letting me talk. I have to drop off at 1040 or so also. Any suggestions or advice, I'd be happy to hear.
1: Um, Just a little feedback. Uh, That sounds good to me Um, because in my experience, uh, there's a progression progression from having verbal intentions to having nonverbal intentions and uh, it sounds like putting letters on it is a good way to make that transition from like verbally saying to yourself, I want to have introspective awareness to just sort of mentally uh, going in that direction. So I think that's that's really good um, Yeah, intentions are kind of hard to put your finger on like what exactly it is and people get yeah. a little uh, Confused as to what exactly they're trying to do with an intention, but I think if it, it like if you're already thinking of what you're supposed to do and you're like in the meditation and you're thinking I want to do this. You're already, you already have that intention. It's already like, it's already present. So there's really not much you have to do besides envision the state that you're trying to get to. And like basically, basically say to yourself,
6: I don't have to say check in or even see to myself. I just brighter, make things brighter. Like yeah, that. I mean, if it, if it
1: helps you to use the letters to stay diligent, then I would say, sure, keep using them. But uh, I don't necessarily think an intention is something that you have to, uh, I don't think it has to take any specific form in, in the mind.
7: Um, okay. Mary, i be
1: was oh, that, Rodrigo?
7: Yeah, uh, I, I still have problems with intention, Tom, but uh, what has worked for me is thinking about it in terms of, do you know when you go to a room and you, you forget what you were going to do there, and all of a sudden you remember, oh, that's what I'm here to do. That clarity for me is related to intention. As long as I have uh, the clarity about what I'm doing, I, I think I have the intention, so uh, every time I, I wander or I forget something, and I get, oh, I was here to do this, and I can, every once in a while, with a check-in, or even automatically after after some practice, I just keep seeing, okay, I'm here, I'm paying attention to my breath, and I and I want to increase my, uh, my, I don't know, my mindfulness, or my, introspective awareness and all of all of that not necessarily is is verbal but sometimes just the clarity that i know what i want to happen for me is enough to to guide my mind in that direction so that's how i, I personally have been working with intention because as sam says uh, i think it's 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 very hard to, to put a finger on it and I think, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you have read the Tucker Peck's uh, post on, what is the the title? Escaping a Lifetime of,
1: do you know which one is it? Escaping a Lifetime Sentence to Stage Four?
7: Yeah, like that. that's, it, that's it, that's it. He talks a little bit also about intentions and I, I, I thought it was helpful. Plus, uh, Ted's post on intention release and observe was also very helpful to me.
6: Yeah, I agree.
7: I'm gonna have to drop off. Thank you all
6: so much. I hope to be back next week.
0: Okay, sorry. (laughs) I just wanted to say one thing about intentions. Um, That I thought might have been helpful to him, not for his question, but um, but I think since so many people have lots of you know curiosity about intentions and their kind of fundamental role in everything. Um, what really kind of brought home how fundamental intentions are in everything, and the difference between a conscious conscious intention which I think I define as an intentional intention um, versus a unconscious attention, which is something that happens without me realizing it, I intended it to happen. Um, that um, the practice of do nothing, which is just sitting there. And the moment you recognize the fact that you're doing something like paying attention to the breath or mind wandering or something like that, you you recognize and you drop that intention and essentially that is clarifying that you had that intention to begin with and it obviously wasn't intentional (laughs) or conscious um, because the intentional intention was to do nothing. Sorry for the crazy wording here, but I think, <laughs> um, and that what really was valuable about that is that I could see how many of these unconscious intentions were put sending me in the direction I wanted to go, and how many were um, conflicting. And so I guess they were all coming from different sub And that just recognizing them was such an incredible boost to everything that, um, yeah, I, I recommend it, although it might be different for other people.
8: Carrie, are you talking
2: about Shinzen's uh, do-nothing practice?
0: Um. Probably. Um, and I might have um, adapted a, li- a little bit, um, but that's probably where I first heard it. Even though I started with him, I've done much less with him than I have with TMI, um, just because there were some free retreats nearby that I'd go to occasionally. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, I definitely heard it first um, through him or one of his students.
2: Sure, I, I only ask because uh, your your description kind of deviates from what Shenzhen's uh, Shenzhen's practice is. But if you're doing your own thing, then that's fine.
0: Yeah, it's definitely inspired by that. You know, to to just sit, and the moment you realize that you're having that you're doing something to drop that intent or drop it. Just um, and I can't remember what else he said with that. Um, if you can think of something to add to it that I didn't mention.
2: Oh, uh, the difference I was thinking of was that uh, Shinzhen's technique is about dropping conscious intentions, not unconscious ones. So, so the act of noticing that you're, you're unconsciously doing something and then choosing to drop that thing because you're doing it, that's a conscious intention, which is exactly what he's avoiding. So the idea, in his practice at least, is to let the mind do what it will. And unconscious intentions can come and go. Uh, the goal is to drop conscious ones whenever those arise, uh, including ones that involve interfering with what the mind's automatically doing. So, uh,
9: yeah. Well, um, the one thing about that distinction is if you can drop an intention, then drop it in Shinsen's system, right? He's talking about, he makes that speak st- louder. Um, sorry, I think it's my, for some reason my mic is not working that well. but in Shinzen's system, he's, he's not, he, he wants people to get out of that, that, that space where it's like, oh, well, I can't control my mind. It's like it's always you know, going off into this one direction. Well, he says, okay, well, don't worry about it because you, you can't control it. But if you can control it, you should um, drop it, right? So, so Carrie I think you, you gave actually a very accurate description of the um, Shinzen system.
7: To bring it to TMI uh, are those intentions that you were not supposed to to drop as Carrie uh, was saying was the the other submind's intentions? I don't know. Because sometimes what I feel is that uh, if I catch myself going from subtle distraction to gross distraction, I can sense the the sub intention to go in another way. And if I just hold it for a minute, it, it dissipates, and I call, can go back. So I, I don't have to, to take a, a such a, I don't know, a hard turn. And I can just wait a little bit for it to dis, dissipate. And it does feels like a, a an unconscious, unconscious intention, uh, as if it were a sub mind's intention. I'm just trying, trying to connect it to TMI. So I don't know the
9: same thing or not? Well, I mean, I think it's, yeah, and Shinzo's system is trying to get you to, um, you know, notice sort of anything, any type of efforting. And as soon as you notice, that, oh, yeah, there might be some efforting in this direction. Um, if you drop it, then you drop it, right? So you would first start out, I think, from TMI's perspective, you'd like start off, like just trying to watch awareness like attention becomes you watching awareness but then in Shinzen system as soon as you notice wait I'm like watching awareness let me and there's some effort there let me drop that and see what happens right and then you, you constantly you're constantly dropping things <laughs> and you're looking to see okay well, what you know like what am I quote doing yeah. and
7: how do you avoid going to dullness because for me when I, I just don't do a lot of things. I, I start dropping into zones.
0: I was just about to mention that, and that what I've um, sometimes used this exercise for was to essentially drop every single attention except for the single one that I wanted, because efforting was kind of a issue, um, and that there was all sorts of stuff happening and that any attempt to do anything would just make way too much happen. Um, and so I would just stop everything and, and almost to, almost to the point of maybe even backing off my, the intention that I had started out with and that it would um, quiet the mind a little bit. This might be related to monkey mind, but but indeed, Eventually, I would get to dullness. But in my travels to get there, I would hit a point that felt like a garden or a fire hose pointed in the right direction. And I haven't yet figured out how to stop there yet. Um, Because I have gone past it and gone into dullness. And I do have problems with dullness sometimes. And... I feel like I kind of overshoot the mark, regardless of which direction I come from. Um, but I'm also not worried about it. The better I know where the mark is, and the more I experience it, I think. I actually, I, I've had a break from meditation for the past month, at least, where I've just been meditating for like 20 minutes a day, just or 10 minutes a day as a token and was surprised how it wasn't, how it had changed. So kind of like, I think a lot of the unconscious intentions get reinforced with practice, um, but they can relax if you take a break from things. It's almost like you can get rid of bad habits if you take a break from practice of anything Sometimes, sometimes a break is good. Not that I'm recommending it, but that I can recognize what benefits it had, even though there were probably drawbacks as well. Well, I'm I'm just rambling thoughts here.
9: (laughs) So related to the um, dullness, sort of uh, dullness and then racy, right, is what Shinzen talks about um he was like when you start getting racy and you know he says noting sometimes can make you a little bit more uh racy right it can you know really raise the uh the energy level of the mind um you know then you because you you would say switch practices right and if you got you're getting super dull it's switch practices and i think no matter what your practice is inevitably you you have to negotiate this the energy level of the mind right to not not have too much kind of energy in the mind, and then of course also not have uh, too little.
0: Yep. And I was suggested by um, Nick Grabovac um, to try alternating them, which I guess is kind of what what I'd already been doing. But yeah.
7: One of the practices I have tried from stage five is the elements, Elements, the Tibetan practice of the elements, I think. And I, I don't see it very, very often uh, talked about in the Reddit or the community at large, but I find it very useful to to find exactly what you were talking about, Gilbert, about finding that, that point of level of energy because you go through each element and you go through its i don't know its aspects and its features and you learn to to balance the the energy quote unquote of of each one so if you go to earth and and you you learn to balance the stability and the, the i don't know the solidity of it and you go to to water and you learn to balance the the tension and so the, the cohesion of everything. And I found it very helpful to, to find that, that sweet point. I, I, not that I, I have already found it, but uh, I think it helps me sometimes when I am off the chart.
10: Hey, this is Kevin. I've kind of somewhat related to what you guys are talking about intention. I kind of had a question about intention and joy. Um, I'm kind of still serving my sentence in stage four, although occasionally they let me into the yard one an hour a day to uh, walk around in stage five, you know. So I look at the birds and, you know, what I'm saying. But I think Sam mentioned, you know, read ahead, read ahead a little bit, you know. So I did. I was reading stage six. And there was a sentence in there that really struck me, like hit me like a brick, you know? And I realized that I had no idea how to do this. And he says, Julio says, says, um, you know, he's preparing for access, right? he says, intentionally cultivate a state of joy. And I'm like, how the hell, <laughs> you know? I mean, I really started thinking about this and like, I know this gets into this whole complicated issue what's the difference between joy and happiness, and you know, the mental feeling versus emotional feeling, and all that kind of stuff. But I guess my question is, and I really, and by the way, part of one thing I did want to say, guys, is you know, I know gratitude is a, a really big part of a lot of people's practice, and you know, I'm learning this stuff, and I, I want to personally express my gratitude for all of you. I think this call is freaking awesome. And I deeply appreciate <clears throat> Sam and Gilbert and Ted, of course, in absentia and all of you guys. I, I just want to, maybe it's a little good mushy, but uh, dudes, y- y'all are awesome. And I really appreciate being able to spend time with you, even though I ramble on and all that kind of stuff. That being said, talk to me about joy. You know, like if I'm, if I'm serving my time in stage four, but suddenly I hit stage six, I read up and say, like, oh, you should be cultivating joy intentionally. What does that mean? Because I don't think I'm doing that. I, I always have felt like joy just spontaneously arises. I, I'm trying, I, w- I was reading, listening to the re- retreat recording that Chuladasa did on joy, and it's, it's helping a little bit. But you know what I mean? I mean, you guys that are in the higher stages, like if you were back in stage four for the first time, I mean, what's it, I mean, you know what I'm saying? What would you be doing to prepare for the stage six that you want to get to that would make it easier when you get there that if you could have been working on it. You know what I'm saying? Um, How do you get your brain around joy? And because I'm realizing that I don't know that I'm in a state of joy as much as I should be or like to be, and I'm wondering whether I could be trying to do something about that even though I'm not at stage six yet. Are you feeling me, guys? Do you know know where I'm at?
0: Oh, I want to say something because it links Right, to what I was just saying, and that it's stage four, um, that there's, a diff- there's two ways that I can experience coming out of gross distraction. Um, one is my breath will spontaneously intrude, um, and at earlier stages, I would almost feel indignant because like I was daydreaming and that suddenly the breath would be there taking away the good dream. Um, But it's really the, you know, this unconscious intention came back to me even though I was off someplace else. And this happens at stage four. It's still there, but it really kind of the breath itself is asserting its dominance as opposed to a memory that I should be doing something other than, what I'm thinking about, that it's kind of happening on its own. And so what I've done to cultivate joy is kind of like a stage two practice of just celebrating the spontaneousness of it. And because that's something that's tangible, that's working, that I want to reward. And I recognize that that is, for me, at least a little more useful than me just kind of constantly remembering I'm supposed to be doing something else I'm supposed to be doing something else and so I can tell that not only am I rewarding a good behavior but the moment that I um, put that positive energy into myself suddenly everything just runs smoothly much more smoothly and so and it kind of feeds on itself so it's that little kind of um, injection of positive feedback I don't I think that's, even though that's different than just the spontaneous um, joy that happens when things start running really, really smoothly, I think it's likely to almost push me in that direction.
9: So the, the single most, I think, powerful way to cultivate more joy is to practice, you know, much more loving kindness on and off the cushion. Loving kindness, I I heard it like the Tibetans say it, and Chuladasa, you know, I'm pretty sure I've heard him agree with this, and I, I very much agree with this, that loving kindness is the base of the other Brahma Viharas, the other divine abodes, which include um, you know, loving kindness is one, um, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. And so, loving kindness just kind of sets. You know, when you practice it, um, it sort of builds the qualities that allow the other things to arise. And, and joy, actually, from uh, Buddhist theory and stuff, and and you know what 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 all these uh, happy monks are saying is that. Uh, joy is kind of part of the, the the natural state of the mind right that the joy will just you know can arise very very naturally right and it's something you don't you, you know you uh it's not you don't want to be like trying to force it right and that's yeah but it just it, it arises naturally provided of course the different um you know defilements and stuff all those stuff that gets in the way like are in abeyance, suppressed, or even just like slowly let go of. And so, loving kindness—that the practice of it, um, you know, both on and off the cushion—for easy people, for difficult people, for yourself—it um, just slowly like helps you to start getting rid of some of those um, those obstacles. So that, that's probably like the single, you know, it's like the single one thing that um, it's it actually gets, it, it's pretty concrete and um, it doesn't take that much for people to get started in a loving kindness practice, but, but yeah, it, it's, um, and it's something that, that Chiodasa talks about kind of, but I, I don't think he's actually the best person in terms of describing necessarily how to cultivate that joy. And hence...
10: Um, I yeah, I mean, because he he was saying like there was seemed to be a, a concept of intentionality to the generation of joy that I was really kind of. I mean, I totally get Gilbert what you're saying about loving kind meta, you know, and I'm I'm working on that, but to me that feels qualitatively different. The pervasive, almost awareness kind of presence of the the benefit of meta from. This intentional act of preparing for, you know what I'm saying? I mean, is there something, is there a difference it's, it's, it's experientially? You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's, it, there's a does difference that how the mind around for it? Or is there, you know what I mean? I mean, so um,
9: as you've trained the mind, transformed the mind, it becomes easier and easier to open yourself up sort of to the joy. And to let go of those things, you know, those obstacles that get in the way. And so, um, you know, there is a lot of little things of just noticing kind of just pleasantness. But that requires a lot of experience. And and I'm saying the one specific practice that'll help you to get that experience to help you start transforming the mind is actually like loving kindness meditation. Um, But there... Yeah, there are, you know, tons of little practices and stuff. But I mean, I do think loving kindness is probably like the single key thing. Because if you can't, you know, if you're struggling with loving kindness practice, or you're not doing that much of it, or it's not, that's not a natural state of the mind that, you know, you're gonna struggle with those other practices that cultivate joy.
10: Okay. I mean, that's good because like I say, you can, you know, following TMI literally word for word by the book without doing these other, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it it seems like you almost have to develop your own practice that you're using TMI as like a, a roadmap, but you gotta be like, I think Sam's dude, like you said you took a break. You did like meta for like a big chunk there and you know, I think I, one of the mistakes I think I've been making is having a linear approach to like doing TMI without spending enough extra, it's, you know, you have to take extra time to do meta, <laughs> you know, for example, which if you were, you know what I mean? I mean. Um, it's in like
9: the appendix, the different places he said, you know, you, you should, you really need to probably, by this point in time, you need to start doing a lot of meditate, like meta meditation, but in the practices and the stages, like it's not listed, but it's like, it's there in the background that you should be doing a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so I guess I can give you my take on this, on this uh, subject. Um, I linked a couple of good books. Um, one of them is by this guy named Rick Hansen, and he has this specific method for uh, cultivating joy. And it just basically involves noticing small uh pleasures in your day and appreciating them and continually uh appreciating these just small little things like having a cup of tea and um by by getting in the habit of appreciating those uh smaller like small pleasures um you sort of condition your mind to appreciate uh to be more sensitive basically to joy Um, and so that's, that's one of the practices that I did when I did the, uh, my meta hiatus was, um, I worked with that book a lot. Um, so that, that helped quite a bit. Um, and, uh, yeah, like has been said, uh, the meta is really good. Um, but what I've noticed about joy just more fundamentally is um. There's. There's a. There's this thing about the mind. Like joy is. Joy is in the mind, regardless of what object causes the joy, and. Uh, basically, there's. Uh, there's there's some, there's things covering up the natural. Joyful state of the mind most of the time. And if you can just learn to notice what's getting in the way of being joyful, that can be a, a great way to start discovering that. That um, sounds kind of vague, I know, but the the Rick Hansen book is a more concrete practice that will help you sort of notice those things. And like more simply, Uh, If you're walking around, a very simple, easy practice to do is whenever you notice some tension or dissatisfaction coming up in your mind, you can just take a nice, easy breath and smile and try to focus on that pleasant sensation that you get from taking a nice, easy breath and smiling. And if you do that enough, um, your mind sort of starts to... uh, I don't know. Get get the get the point that hey, look, I don't need all these objects in the world to be happy. I can just I can just breathe and smile, and I can be happy. Um, and that's a wonderful thing to discover. And I think that's what uh, Chula Dasa is talking about, although he doesn't really go into too much detail about it. But. Um, that can be great. And I do that all the time. Uh, whenever I notice tension coming up, um, besides just observing it, uh, I also try to specifically take a deep breath and smile. And that's all that's really necessary. Um, even if you do this off the cushion, it will it will start to become a habit in your mind. And uh, it will follow on the cushion, too. Um, Another thought that I have is uh, at the beginning of your session, uh, it's helpful to just try to try to relax and try to take a nice deep breath and just try to enjoy sitting there and just start off just getting a sense of, okay, this is nice. I'm sitting here. I'm breathing. This is nice. Um, if you can appreciate that just simple – the simple act of sitting and just enjoying being, that'll make uh, the development of joy a lot easier. Um, so it it's kind of starts small and then you just get more and more sensitive to joy. And that's how it's evolved in my experience.
10: Cool. Thanks. Up, I, I, appreciate one. That. I think folks are going to be wondering why I'm smiling all the time, though. But I think, but yeah, it's, uh, it's good. That's good.
5: I'm going to plus one the recommendation from Sam because I actually read both. Well, I'm in the process of reading the second book he recommended on love and kindness. But the first one, the Rick Hansen with the Heal method, um, I definitely noticed a change in how I was able to notice kind of more happier or joyful thoughts. And I could let, and I definitely helped me in the practice to uh, experience joy when it arose um, and recognize that. So I, I would definitely say that that, that you could read. I actually only read the first half of the book, I didn't read the second half because someone recommended. Just the first half was good enough, <laughs> so I haven't gone back to that yet. But uh, it's called The Heal Method. I, I would recommend it to kind of, I think joy, like you said, it's kind of almost like a skill to not, at least for most of us in the modern world, to kind of notice that rather than noticing the negative things. Um, and the second book as well, um, and there's one other thing I was going to mention, but I can't remember right now, so I will, I will leave floor to someone else
1: um so a couple other thoughts on uh the meta practice um because people only have so much time in the day um if you want to incorporate some meta you can always uh, it doesn't have to be like an hour sit you know like you can you can do 20 minutes of meta at the beginning of your normal session and that's a good way to incorporate it Um, i i was rather extreme with it and i just did meta, just only meta for a long time and I found that like I didn't really lose anything in TMI. I sort of developed this orthogonal skill that was also helpful, but uh, it didn't take me long to regain the other skills in TMI that I might have been a little rusty on after that. Uh, so I wouldn't be too concerned about that um, because it, I mean, any practice you do, you're going to be developing along a certain axis, and TMI develops you along this, you know, attention-awareness axis. And that can be helpful as a fundamental practice, but it's also not the only um, skill that's useful to develop. Um, And developing these other skills doesn't really – uh, take away anything from Developing the TMI skill you, you might have to you know knock off some rust when you come back to the TMI But it's it's not it's not like you're gonna completely lose everything because you're still practicing uh, The ability to stay on an object to notice when dullness comes up um, and all these other things uh, so I would encourage you just be a, uh, not, not think that you're gonna lose progress with TMI because that can be a common thing.
7: And. Uh, okay. if I may add, sorry, Joel.
2: Oh, Joe. uh, I just want to follow up uh, with Sam. How do you, uh, did you just apply the dullness antidotes from TMI when dullness uh, arose during your meta practice? And um, what did you do about, so did you bother to with peripheral awareness at all while you were doing the meta? Um,
1: Um, yeah, so I treated the meta practice, uh, just with the same principles of TMI, like the object would be the intention for loving kindness. And that was kind of tough because the intention is obviously this like ephemeral sort of poorly defined thing, but, uh, with a little practice, you can, you can hold that as an object. And I just basically, uh, I just basically switched objects, you know, like uh, I I still had the intention to have peripheral awareness. Um, I still noticed when I was getting dull and still attempted to correct for it using the typical standard TMI antidotes. And um, so it really wasn't, uh, it wasn't like my, my, my skills were atrophying or, uh, you know, for addressing dullness and distraction, uh, still exercising those skills. It's just, it requires a little bit of readjustment and experimentation to incorporate it into a different object like meta. I found certain things were easier. Like I didn't really, I didn't really struggle with dullness very much uh, with meta, but I did struggle a little more with mind wandering when I was doing meta or I mean, at least not staying on the object as well. So.
2: I've had similar experiences for the limited time that I've been, been doing meta at the start of my sits for 15 minutes. That's, uh, I tend to generate, or I try to generate positive memories uh, that I can kind of draw some emotion out of. Um, so I remember like events that happened or my friends. Um, it's, it's funny that my, my distractions then are usually, uh, I get like flashes of negative associations to do with those memories, and those are the distractions. Um, and I got the same experience of dullness that's, um, it seems just like, uh, it feels like I'm more active when I'm doing meta. Uh, I guess I'm actively like, going through some phrases, generating memories. Um, yeah, I don't get as dull as easily. Um, and yeah, I've been doing sort of the same thing as just applying TMI with a different object, but uh, the practice is pretty different in nature.
1: Yeah, um, I think as you go on, it's good to just start with a, a definite framework for how to approach the meta like you know with specific phrases and things. Um, and then eventually uh, I think at, at the core of what meta is is the intention, uh, holding that intention, no matter what comes up. And I think when you hold the intention for uh, goodwill, despite having some other thing come up. Um, if you do that, it's it's almost like that's what's unifying your mind into the uh, loving kindness, is holding it despite whatever comes up, or even if there's no, uh, even if you're not feeling it. Um, and, you know, eventually, uh, what happens, is it, it just becomes effortless. You just intend, uh, you just sort of, You have this thing, and you just send it to other people, and it's just that easy. Um, But along along the way, it takes a certain amount of just diligence and keeping the intention. So,
7: thanks, Ed. I have something to add, too. Uh, At stage four, I used Meta in different contests, and. For me, uh, Meta actually worked as, as an antidote to donors. So, sometimes if I felt that nothing was working against donors, Meta would sometimes help. And I think it's, it's, I don't know, maybe a different kind of intention and it actually helps, at, at least in my experience. And I have also used Meta to help me with mind wandering, because for uh, we had elections here uh, last year, and for a week after after elections, I was mind wandering, worried about the results, and getting angry at, at people, and my meditation sessions were were awful, and I basically switched to Meta for the politicians and it helped a lot. Uh, My distractions were very high and with Meta it it came back to manageable levels. So I have actual experience with Meta, both helping the donors and helping with distractions. And uh, regarding the the joy, last week I had asked uh, Ted a question and he talked something about, uh, as Gilbert says, about I was assuming that joy was not present the whole time and instead uh, there was something maybe there was something in the, in the middle of getting to to joy and this past week I had been paying attention to that and what I found was that sometimes just as there are some good habits that you can create as Sam was saying about uh, Rick Hansen that eh? And there are, there are some bad habits that we can break. And one of them I found out is sometimes I, I, something bad happens and I get in, in that habit of thinking, well, this sucks. And then I realize, well, but I'm happy right now. I'm not worried about it. I'm, I'm not sad or anything. So th- there's just that, that underlying habit of seeing things through a, a bad light. So I, I, I found that maybe breaking those habits also help with allowing joy to, to come up.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a sutta that I just linked, and it talks about uh, virtue and how that's the foundation of uh, a lot of good things and how there's a progression of how virtue basically leads to um, release from suffering. And along the way, uh, joy is one of the components that is involved there. Um, So I really like that sutta. And that's, that's why I linked it. So you guys can do what you want with that. So I guess we usually go till eleven thirty. Um, anybody else have any questions or thoughts on their practice?
5: I don't have any questions. I just wanted to um, chime in. Last Sunday, I attempted a uh, no digital day, no digital screen day <laughs> I, I think kevin might be giving me the thumbs up but he might be doing that <laughs> i'm not sure <laughs> uh yeah and uh i was able to um uh, well, at first i felt like i had some more free time so i was able to do a two-hour sit on which i used to do last year and i just felt like i haven't had time so it was cool to get back into doing that um i i hear heard chula dasa recommending uh, once per week to do a little bit more extended sit maybe for two hours or something like that so I used to do that I stopped for a while um, and I was expecting to go back to it and it would be kind of really torturous to to stay for that long but it was actually it actually went pretty well I and I was actually surprised when the when the bell rang I actually wanted to keep going a little bit more um, so yeah it was cool in terms of a digital day off I kind of felt like I wasn't getting anything done. So I was recognizing those feelings coming in. I don't know if I, if I can recommend that yet to everybody, but I'm gonna try again tomorrow. I'm gonna to try on Sundays to do that. I um, just wanted to throw that out there about what's been going on with that.
10: Yeah, the other day I accidentally left my phone at home, you know, when I when I was going to the store and I realized as I was coming back from the store, I'm like, oh, Google and everyone else thinks I'm sitting at home cuz my phone is at home but I'm actually out doing this other stuff my sense of self wow like <laughs> as far as the world is concerned I'm somewhere else but the real me right is here in the car doing real things you know it's kind of a a no, it's kind of like a no self practice leave your phone at home and go live your life you know
5: Yeah I will I will to I did feel like I had left my phone somewhere during the during that day, like, it felt like I was without, like, a piece of me. So I would definitely recommend trying that out just to see how how attached you are to online. I specifically re- remember, even by 10 a.m., that I had five urges to just go for my phone and do something on there and uh, and forgot that I didn't have it. So it's just interesting as kind of like a self-experiment to see
0: what you do during the day.
1: Ken, how's your practice been? I haven't heard from you.
8: Hey. Um, actually, it's been pretty cool. I hit, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I on the same day, I hit my thousand-hour insight timer milestone and my three-year anniversary with TMI. And uh, lately, I can actually say that my practice almost feels like what I thought meditation should have felt like in the beginning. Like for three years, it felt like arduous and effort and impossible and frustrating. And now it's just, yeah, just kind of really relaxed and watching things and I'm actually discovering times at which my mind just kind of locks onto the breath and it almost feels like it's impossible to let it go it's like it's some tangible thing sitting there. Um, I still mind wander like crazy at other times but uh, it's it's just yeah, really peaceful and relaxing and it's it's kind of cool because over the last couple of months it's like every sit is different, better, new, it feels like I don't know different stuff is happening or more things are breaking down or a little bit more progress is occurring. So I'm, I'm just kind of really happy with, with where things are and where things are going. Um, and yeah, kind of to echo what Kevin said, you know, being in a community of people and just, you know, hearing tips and advice and stories and, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of really, uh, helpful in a practical way, motivating in a, kind of a spiritual way, and in, uh, in a more abstract way. I, th- I think I mentioned this a little while ago, but it really becomes more apparent to me what uh, Chula Dasa was saying in that whole thing about the hierarchy of subminds existing all the way down from the atomic level up to the civilization level that, you know, the nine of us on this call right now Are kind of one type of collective submind each participating and communicating and sharing and new things arise. And, uh, you know, just to kind of be a part of this and see my consciousness, you know, as part of, you know, everything else that's going on is kind of cool. So, yeah. So I really appreciate, really appreciate everything that, uh, you guys do just just by being here and talking shit about stuff
7: cool
1: yeah I feel the same way uh so we um we could go for a few more minutes I uh Wolfgang or Nick uh would you like to chime in
3: hey yeah I'll go first Mm -hmm. so um I actually got introduced to uh to this chat by Jolt. Uh, he mentioned it to me a few days ago. Can you guys hear me, by the way? It's all good. Um, yeah, so I just started reading TMI recently. Uh, I think I'm around stage four at the moment and I'm dealing mostly with uh, gross distractions coming from uh, bodily sensations. So um, thoughts, memories, planning, uh, pretty much aren't coming into, uh, into attention. As gross distractions anymore, but um, yeah, at this point, I'm dealing with restlessness and pain. Um, otherwise, I'm very happy with my progression. Yeah. I don't know if you have advice uh, for overcoming the physical
1: distractions in particular.
3: Dullness, by the way, is not really an issue so far.
1: Yeah, um, the stage four can be kind of not fun in that way uh especially the painful part of it but it's definitely only a temporary thing i think the fastest way to get through it is to um go at it head-on if you're constantly shifting and trying to avoid the pain then it'll keep coming back until um until you're it's almost like a a milestone in my mind uh you kind of have to just do the practice as it's laid out and eventually it won't be as painful to sit. And um, so as long as you're trying to, I think, I think the practice is you try to ignore it as long as possible. Then when it, when it becomes not, not ignorable, then you focus on it and it'll either go away or it won't go away. Um, and if it becomes completely unbearable, then you can shift or move and do so in a mindful way. And I think if, uh, if you just do that practice, eventually the pain will subside and it gets much more uh, peaceful to sit. And it's, uh, yeah, so that stage didn't last very long for me. Um, and I don't hear people going through a, a, a huge, painful stage. In stage four, it's uh, usually the, wine, the mind, mind wandering and dullness are the bigger obstacles in stage four that I hear people talk about. So,
3: Thanks. Yeah, so um, every day I do about an hour of walking meditation just uh, on my walk to and from school. And uh, I'll usually pick uh, a physical sensation as my object for the duration of that 30-minute walk. So uh, something I've been noticing, uh, I think it's always been there, that I've been noticing more recently is uh, kind of a sustained light tension in my chest. So I guess there's this kind of free-floating anxiety that I wasn't really aware of uh, until more recently. And uh, I've spent quite a bit of time just focusing for the entire walk on that feeling of tension and uh, gradually uh, emotions associated to that to that physical sensation uh, dissipate. Um, which I guess is not so surprising, right? They kind of, I don't know, it's almost like they shy away. They're like, well, I guess I don't need to be here. Um, yeah, same goes for feelings of restlessness. Occasionally, the, I'll get like a flash of some restless sensation in my back or legs uh, during a sit. And the moment I direct my attention to that sensation, it, it vanishes very quickly. So yeah, your advice is, uh, is definitely working.
1: Okay, hey, um, how are you, Wolfgang? You got any thoughts? Yeah, thank you. Um, can you
11: all hear me? Does this work? Okay, wonderful. So, I don't have particularly much to say about my practice. It's been very nice recently. I think I'm about at stage seven ish or something. There's nothing much happening, I'd say. So, sitting is very comfortable and sitting about 40 minutes twice a day. Recently, I had a really, really nice sit where I went without the timer and suddenly it was one and a half hours late and it was Usually, it's not that comfortable, but yeah, it's really nice and there's generally also little coming up in the body. so. Is It's dominated by feeling of spaciousness, and things are getting wider and easier, and so all is fine, all is perfect, I couldn't ask for more.
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds like physical pliancy. That sounds like uh, beyond stage 7 to me, uh, just superficially. Uh, you might be further than what you're saying. I, I, I'm happy if it's like that, so... <laughs> Uh, are you doing any of the insight practices? Um, currently I'm mainly
11: maintaining broad bodily awareness. So little insight in that way, a little specific, but yes, yeah. I think that might be a good suggestion to shift a little in that direction. If you think that's a good idea.
1: Yeah. I mean, if your attention is stable, which uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned stage seven. So your attention uh, is stable um, and there's no dullness and you have a sense of comfort. Uh, okay. yes, that's that's what physical pliancy starts as. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just like, Oh, this general sense of it's comfortable sitting here and I'm not having any pain and not much is happening, but it's kind of nice and I can just sit here as long as I want. That's uh that's kind of like the immature physical compliancy. And, um, it, it, it sounds like it'd be more useful to like, look at those inside practices. If you're interested in that, like if, you know, it's perfectly valid to just enjoy sitting uh, in stillness and just enjoy watching the breath. But the point is to, uh, use that mind that you've, uh, trained to do the insight practices. So I would suggest or encourage you to do yes, that. definitely. That sounds
11: like a good idea. Then I'll definitely have a look at that.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, feel free to come back next week. <laughs> yes, that be got to. Okay, Um, so Ted will probably be back next week, so it won't be like me doing the whole moderation thing, but I'll probably still be here. Um, And like everybody else said, this was really great, and I enjoy coming to these. So I hope to see you guys all next week.